Old Testament readings from Numbers chapter 11. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. And he asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The burden's too heavy for me. This is how you're going to treat me. Put me to death right now if I found favor in your eyes. Don't let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they didn't do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. And yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is the entire epistle of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. To Aphia, our sister and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am am in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. 
He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Teacher said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, uh, so what I want to do today and for the next few weeks is, if it's okay with you guys, uh, preach through Philemon. That's the epistle reading for today. Uh, why do I want to preach through Philemon? Because uh, like preaching through a book of the Bible, uh, listening to sermons uh, through consecutive verses through a specific passage of the Bible is really, really helpful. Uh, you guys know this, right? Um, uh, the Bible wasn't written in, to, to, you know, to be distributed like in little soundbite forms. This is the way we uh, grow up learning the Bible through memorizing Bible verses, uh, you know, pulled out of their context. I mean, there's nothing wrong with memorizing Bible verses. In fact, I encourage you to do it. But, but the Bible is actually written like in longer, longer discourses. And so to work through those discourses is actually a good and help, helpful thing. The second reason why I want to work through Philemon is because I think that we can get through Philemon in eight or nine weeks, and that should be just about the right amount of time to get us through Pentecost and into Advent. So it's kind of, uh, it fits kind of perfectly in there. But then the third reason is, is that Philemon is actually a really, really good book. Philemon is a test case for Paul. Does the gospel that Paul preach, preaches, does it actually work? Right, so Paul, Paul preaches the gospel. Paul hardly ever like preaches the gospel just to say, Okay, so here's the gospel. Now, uh, you should think this in your head. It's almost always, and we'll see this as we uh, talk a little bit this morning, it's almost always practical. 
here's something that needs to be accomplished. And now Philemon's a big one. Philemon is a great test case. Does the gospel actually work in real life? All right, so that's what I want to do for the next few weeks. I'd like to talk uh, uh, about um, Philemon 1 through 3 today, the first three verses, and introduce you to the, to introduce you to the letter and um, uh, the main point why Paul's writing it and some of the main characters. And then uh, maybe it'll feel a little bit like uh, first day of semester where you get the syllabus handed to you. But um, next week we'll get into uh, the thick of it, the meat of it. So uh, let's start off with verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Paul, at the, at, the, at the time that he's writing this, is actually literally a prisoner. He's in jail. Uh, probably he's in prison at Ephesus. If you can imagine, does it, are you guys familiar with uh, Asia Minor, what is now uh, Turkey? Think of, It's like a peninsula that sticks out into the Mediterranean. I think the, the Black Sea, uh, or is it the Caspian Sea, is above it. And then on the edge of it, like uh, one of the seaports is Ephesus. It's a big major city in Paul's day. It isn't anymore. It's kind of the, the harbor is silted up and now it's a couple miles from the sea. When it lost its harbor, it lost its economic value. So, so now it's a great archaeological site. He is writing to his friend Philemon. Now Philemon lives in a Colossi, which is a few miles inland, right? And, um, but meanwhile in Ephesus, you can read about this in Acts. Paul's a prisoner there. We don't know a whole lot about uh, what happened to him while he was in prison. We know that he was drugged in front of huge crowd at Ephesus because they were angry because he had been preaching against their idol, the idol which the silversmiths in that town made all their money for making idols of, and the silversmiths were angry because he was cutting into their profit, and so they dragged him out and tried to start a riot. We do know that in 1 Corinthians he tells people, I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. You guys know this, right, from your... Uh, uh, Anybody who knows a little smattering of Roman history knows that people that the empire didn't like were often uh, made to fight wild animals for the entertainment of the empire. And it's a good way to get rid of people you don't like as well. Paul had to fight wild beasts. So we don't know a whole lot about his imprisonment there. We do know he was imprisoned lots. He says in 2 Corinthians, innumerable, countless numbers of times I've been in prison. This is one of these times. And as he's in prison, he's writing this letter. And uh, like a lot of his letters, he includes in the address... Somebody who's with him, who's helping him out, Timothy. Now, Timothy is never described as being a prisoner himself, but he always manages to be around Paul, helping him out. Back in the Greco-Roman world, if you were in prison, uh, you were not fed on the taxpayer dime. If you were in prison, you counted on visitors bringing you food and clothing and stuff to keep you going. If not, you were just going to starve to death in prison. So Paul had these friends like Timothy who took care of him. Timothy was also a pastor as well. The letter is written, and this is in verse 2 now, the letter is written to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. So Philemon is a member of the church at Colossae. In fact, this letter to Philemon and the letter to Colossians go hand in hand with each other. All right. So if you don't have to turn here. I'm going to look back at Colossians at the end of Colossians chapter 4. And this is what Paul says there. This is when he's kind of wrapping up the letter to Colossians, and he says, uh, when Tychicus gets, Tychicus is a friend of his, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me when he gets to Colossae. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. Onesimus is the main character in the letter to Philemon. 
So Tychicus, when he brings this letter to the church of Colossae, is also bringing with him Onesimus, who is one of you. He's a faithful and dear brother, and he's one of you, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. So what's happening, it looks like, is that Paul is writing, Paul's in Ephesus. He wants to communicate with the church at Colossae, so he's sending a letter to the church at Colossae that we know in our Bibles as the letter to the Colossians. He's also sending, included in, in, in the packet, a personal letter to his friend Philemon. Not a letter for, it's not, it's not like Colossians, which is to be, to be read as, as instruction for the whole church. But it's a personal letter that speaks of a very personal matter that Paul wants to address. All right. Now Paul probably sent lots and lots of letters like these. Why does this one survive? Well, that's a question we'll talk about as we go along through the next few weeks. Why is Philemon, the letter to Philemon, a very personal letter about a very personal matter? How does that end up in the Christian New Testament as somehow applicable to you and I sitting here now? And the answer, of course, is, this is real super general, okay? We'll unpack it more later. The answer, of course, is, it's the gospel. Philemon is the gospel. It contains within it the gospel, okay? So, uh, so Paul is sending this letter to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. It's two things here. First of all, he's his dear friend, right? This is a close, personal relationship that he has with him. But he's also a fellow worker. And when Paul talks about fellow working, he almost is always talking about work in the ministry of Jesus Christ. So Philemon is a good personal friend. Philemon also is a fellow worker in the church. To Aphia, our sister, uh, we don't know who she is. She's not mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, church tradition says that she is Philemon's wife, but we don't know that for sure. To Archippus, our fellow soldier, we also don't know who he is. Although, interestingly enough, he gets mentioned in Colossians chapter 4 as well. The second to last letter, the second to last verse in Colossians 4 says, Paul says, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work that you have received in the Lord. We don't know what that work was, that Archippus had been assigned, and we actually don't know who Archippus is anyway. His name means, if this helps you out at all, his name means uh, leader of horses. I don't know if that's a nickname or if that's the birth name that he was given for whatever reason. That's what his name means. Church tradition says that these, that this, this group of people, including Onesimus, Philemon, Aphia, um, Archippus, and Onesimus were all stoned by Nero in the 60s. But we don't actually know that for sure. We don't know too much about him besides what's uh, written here in Philemon. So um, Archippus, though, is a fellow soldier, right? He is, Paul sees him. So Philemon is a fellow worker. There's something different about Archippus, though. We, we don't, I don't, I don't want to like spend too much time on this because we just don't have enough information to like say too much about this. But Archippus, Paul sees him as like a fellow warrior for the faith. I don't know if, if, if Archippus is like the aggressive one, if Archippus is uh, something of a leader in the church. Maybe he's the pastor of this church. We do know that the church is meeting in Philemon's house. That's what the next part of verse 2 says. And to the church that meets in your home, your is singular there. It's talking to Philemon. We don't know, but this is a, um, a, a tight-knit group that Paul knows and loves. It's this church in Colossae that meets in the home of Philemon, but his message is specifically for Philemon. For Paul, the gospel is never impersonal. It's never academic. This is one of the things that the enemy has gotten us to believe. It's been much to our damage that Again, I say this all the time. Satan never comes to you and says, you should shoot up a bunch of heroin and then go killing random people. He never says that stuff. What he says are things like this. 
You believe in Jesus? That's great. You should believe in Jesus. It's good to believe in Jesus. Now you believe in Jesus and you know that you're not going to hell. And so there you go, right? That's good. Just relax. Have a good time. You know that anything you do, God will forgive and you don't need to worry about anything. For Paul, like just believing in your head that the gospel is true is never the point of anything. Paul never, ever writes a letter where he's like, you know what, I was sitting around and thinking, you guys need instruction in the facts of the gospel. Let me give you a systematic theology. In fact, for Paul, you pick a letter of Paul. Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, 1st or 2nd Corinthians, uh, Timothy even, Titus, these pastoral epistles. Paul is always dealing with practical issues. The gospel is designed to change your life. Now, specifically for Paul, the practical issue, 90% of the time, is reconciliation between people who have separated. Whether it's, as, as Pastor Parviz pointed out two weeks ago in here, whether it's the, whether it's this tension between Jew and Gentile Christians in the Church of Rome, this is why Paul writes Romans. It's not like, you need to know practical facts about theology. He's actually trying to stop a problem. You guys have separated on the basis of ethnic bounds within the church. You can't do that. Galatians is the same thing. First Corinthians, it's these, the, 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 we've talked about this here before. The Christian church at Corinth has the rich Christians who have the money and the food and the power in the church. And then you have the poor Christians who the rich Christians are nice enough to let come into their church and worship with them. But that's the extent of it. And Paul writes 1 Corinthians to say, no, this is the gospel. Because of the blood of Christ Jesus, you all have been reconciled together in baptism in one faith. When you come to the Lord's table, do you have a rich people's communion and a poor people's communion? Do you have a white people's communion and a black people's communion? Do you have a men's communion and a women's communion? Do you have a free person's communion and a slave communion? No, you don't. You have one communion. You all share in one bread. You all share in one cup. You all share in the same one Lord Jesus Christ. There should be no gap between you and anybody else in the church. See, the gospel is incredibly practical. It's not just about what you think in your head. Oh, I, I, I believe Jesus has died and risen from the dead. Okay, that's great. Even the devils believe that. And as James says, at least they tremble. What does the gospel mean? The gospel means reconciliation. That's what's going to happen here in Philemon. We'll get to this later, but let me just tell you a little bit about what Philemon's going to do. Philemon, it looks like, is a wealthy guy. He owns a house, a domus, more likely than not, which means that it's big enough to have a church service in. It probably has, like, living quarters. It probably has, if you can, like, imagine in your head, fancy Roman homes that you've seen from documentaries or whatever. It probably has living quarters. It probably has a couple of fancy courtyards with open-air atrium and fountains in the middle or uh, a garden in the middle with colonnades around about it, big enough that you can cram people in there for a church service. Philemon also has a slave, maybe multiple slaves. This also is common. If you're a rich person in the Greco-Roman world, you're going to have slaves. Slavery in the Greco-Roman world was not uh, based upon race. It was based upon a lot of different other things. Um, uh, if you were a captive in war, you would end up being sold as a slave. If you were a poor person and wanted a roof over your head, you could sell yourself into slavery. If you were, uh, there, there, there were many occupations that it was just expected you were going to be a slave. Interestingly enough, doctor was one of these. If you were going to be a doctor in the Greco-Roman world, it was expected that you would be a slave for several years, maybe even your whole life. There weren't like hospitals, there weren't doctor's offices. Typically, rich people would have private doctors that were slaves for them. Now, slavery, although it wasn't race-based, was still horrible. At best, it was oppressive. 
You were not free to be your own person. You were not free to make money for yourself. You were not free to travel. At worst, it was downright exploitive. Especially if you were a woman or a young boy or a girl, you were going to be used, 90% of the time you were going to be used for the master's sexual needs. Paul is going to grapple in the letter to Philemon with the problem of slavery. And what we'll look at as we go along is how does Paul deal with slavery? It's an interesting way especially when it's one of his best friends who is a slave owner. Now, Onesimus was his slave. Onesimus was Philemon's slave, and Onesimus has run away from home. Somehow, we don't know how, has bumped into Paul. Paul has preached the gospel to Onesimus, and Onesimus has been converted. He is now my child, Paul says. And what does Paul do? Paul says, I'm going to send Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter. And the letter is going to address slavery. And Paul is going to radically undermine slavery in ways that legislation never could, in ways that a barrage of like socially woke Twitter, Twitter tweets never could. He's going to undermine it with the gospel. More on that later, though. Paul starts off his letter here after the greeting with verse 3, and then we'll be done. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who've read Paul's letters, you know that he almost always starts his letters off this way. Grace to you and peace. It's a play on words, actually. There's a common way, you know, so like if you're writing, nobody writes letters anymore, but if you were going to write a paper letter to somebody, you would write, dear so-and-so. And you don't even, we don't even really think, like, is that person really dear to me or not? You just say dear because that's the way you start letters. Well, in the Greco-Roman world, there was a common way to start letters. There was an idiomatic way to start letters as well, and it was kairain, which just means greetings. Kairain to you. It's how you start a letter, greetings. Paul doesn't say kairain when he starts letters, though. He says charis. It's a word which sounds a lot like kairain, but it means something different than greetings. It means grace. So it's a play on words. He's making a little pun. Instead of grace, instead of greetings to you, he says grace to you. And also frequently he'll say peace. From, not from himself, this is how you usually start a letter in the ancient world, greetings to you from Aaron. But Paul says, this is Aaron. He didn't say that. He said, this is Paul, right? I should say that. This is Paul. Grace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing this letter to you, but actually the letter is coming from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the point of this letter is to bring you grace and peace. And what does grace mean? Grace is just shorthand for you can't do this on your own. Grace is a gift of God. Paul's about to ask Onesimus to do something that's radical, that's almost impossible, to take his cultural worldview, which is rich people have a right to take care of, that's code word, this is rich slave owner code word for slavery, to take care of slaves. And Paul's going to say, that's actually anti-gospel. And he's going to ask Philemon to look his socioeconomic world in the face to look his cultural world in the face, the world that he grew up in, the world that he's perfectly comfortable in, and say, that's not for me anymore. I'm turning my back on the way that I've always looked at the world. That's going to take grace. Only God can do that. Only God can take you, who the most important thing in your world is people liking you, or the most important thing in your world is like financial security. Only God can take those of us who struggle with these things and say, I'm taking you out of that worldview and giving you a gospel-centered worldview. That's grace. 
Paul knows it's going to take grace for this to happen. But also, peace. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. In this perfect world that God created, a world of harmony was corrupted. There no longer is perfect relationship between us and God. Even those of you who know and love God constantly battle this sense that I don't know if he hears me, I don't know if he's there. If he does hear me, I don't know if he cares. There's a gap between us and God. This perfect relationship that Adam and Eve had with each other in the garden is also now gone. Now we judge our relationships based upon looks or intelligence. Or on, are you funny or not? Do you make me happy when you talk? Are you nice to me or are you not nice to me? Are you wealthier than me? If you are, you intimidate me. Are you poorer than me? If so, I look down upon you. The fall has created this gap between us and every single other person in the whole world, including the people who are closest to us. And it's even more noticeable with your spouse and with your children, with your parents, is it not? Or with your best friends. This is what the fall has done. And finally, broken relationship with all of creation, with the environment. We no longer know how to take care of God's world. We mistreat it, or at best, we're just lazy and indifferent toward it. And so when Paul hits us with the gospel, he says that this is about God's grace, but it's about God's peace. Shalom in Hebrew, right? Wholeness. Reconciliation. This is the goal of the gospel, is for us to be reconciled to each other. For the whole world to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. For all of creation in the universe to once again become his domain. It starts right here in our hearts. It starts right here in this room. It starts right in your home. So as we go through the book of Philemon, I'm sorry, the letter to Philemon over the next couple of weeks, let's pray. All of us pray together, okay? Let's pray that God would work in our hearts to seek this peace, to see this peace, to understand, actually experience and feel this peace that only comes from Jesus Christ through his gospel. Amen.